Hello everyone, this is The Frog and the Dragon Season 3 and today we're basically continuing um, our series on looking at specific parts of a cube um, and whereas in Season 2 we talked about um, like the cards you want to play or put into your cube um, that go to the early game um, today we're looking at the other side of the spectrum basically Yeah, very much um, looking more at the late game Talk about bombs in cube. Yes, sir. So, Rupert, I guess, you know, I'd imagine most people listening to this are familiar with the old uh, analogy, at least for set drafting of bread, where the most important thing is you want in bread is your B, your bombs. Absolutely. And while this is a bit less relevant in a cube environment, because in cube, kind of everything is meant to be good, um... There is still, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there is still very much a home in even powerful cubes for bombs. So mm -hmm. when we say bomb, we mean explosive, powerful cards that are either finishers, they break stalemates, and they stabilize you. Yep. Um, or another way, another way people often describe them is these are cards that in themselves remove threats while being threats themselves. And it's a case of if this thing is not gotten rid of, the, it's game mm -hmm. over for the defending player. Yeah, like I also like to think of it as something that puts the anim uh, the opponent on a clock. Um, yeah, like like yeah. it doesn't need to end the game this turn. It just needs to be a case of mm -hmm. if this isn't removed, you will die. Yeah, it needs to be dealt with. Mm -hmm. It demands your attention. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so how can you identify a bomb, both in the sense of when the packs are being passed to you, and also how can you identify a bomb just when a player drops, you know, a card on the table? Okay. Sure, sure. So uh, while drafting, identifying a bomb is actually pretty easy because it's usually that one card, that one pick that makes player goes, wow! Um, and yeah, everybody... You, you'll on, you'll on audibly hear it across the table when someone yeah. gets it. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. These cards are going to have immediate impact on the game. So... You'll often mm -hmm. think of, say, Primeval Titan, like 6 mana 6-6, six, six, I think it has Trample. You know, nice beefy creature. When it enters, it gets you mm -hmm. your two lands, so, you know, it does something the second it comes into play. And then when it attacks, it gets you more lands. Great. Yeah. Um, like we said earlier, if opponents can't remove these, it's big trouble. But something to keep in mind is there can be bombs that depend on the archetype. So a card that's a bomb in one archetype mightn't be a bomb in another. So obviously keep your mind open. When you see that nuts card, you also think, well, is it actually nuts that I auto-included or is it just nuts in the right context? Mm -hmm. um, I think I was chatting to a couple of friends and one guy put it quite well. He said, um, the scale of how good a bomb is, is how angry would I be to open this card in pack three and I can't play it? You know, I think that's yeah, that a really nice way of putting it. Like, you know, you pull that uh, Gristlebrand in pack three and it's like, damn, dude, if I got this pack one, I'd have been so happy. But um, you're frustrated yeah, at getting pretty much pack three. On top, yeah. um, again, continuing on his anecdote, like a 7-7 seven, seven vanilla creature can be answered with like a Doomblade. It could be answered with a 0-8. It could be answered with a 1-1 one, one Death Touch mm -hmm. or just an 8-8. Eight, eight. The Scarab mm -hmm. God must be answered this second with a Doomblade. You know, and I think that very much sets them apart. Like, I mean, yeah, the seven seven will eventually kill them, but the Scarab God is demanding that you deal yeah. with this problem this second. But um, 
Moving on from just kind of a high-level view of bombs, let's uh, let's talk about, I guess, what we might call trap bombs or just overly specific bombs. So, Rupert, do you want oh, yeah, to tell us a bit the, about this? Yeah, like trap bombs are essentially my pet peeve um, because, yeah, I always end up with them. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> but, yeah, um, so our trap bombs are basically big, beefy cards that look like bombs, um, but might either be unplayable well at least for your deck currently um or just be too specific to be actually viable yeah um, and so I, sorry go on yeah so i was just gonna say in relation to trap bombs like part of this is on behalf of the um of the you know the cube creator to let you know about this in advance. So one example you've got here is um, Emrakul the Aeon's Torn. F big 15 mm. mana, 15, 15 Eldrazi. And no one is going to say that this card isn't a great card. But Absolutely if not. your Absolutely cube not doesn't have it, yeah. the means of playing it, of playing it naturally by actually casting it for 15 mana, you need to let players yeah. know about that. Whereas if your cube has, say, a sneak attack package or it has a... Mm -hmm reanimator package then yep. you know you can your players should know when they see the emrakul oh this emrakul isn't for me to cast for 15 mana this emrakul is here for me to you know cheat it out of my hand with a show and tell mm. and you know yeah, while, could, I, yeah. while emrakul is a very um you know big example with him being 15 mana it's like duh you're gonna cheat him into play there are other mm. powerful cards that you need to kind of realize either when you're drafting it or you need to realize that you need to tell your players why this card might be in your cube. Yep. Uh, this goes particularly well for um, combo pieces or combo bombs, as I like to call them. Um, yeah. Prime example for that being, you know, uh, one of my favorite commanders, Winota. Mm -hmm. uh, Winota herself is just so fucking strong. Um but you really need to build a deck around her for her to work. Yeah, like so, there's no point picking a yeah. Benota late pack two or like if it's your pack, pick, first pick in pack three. You need to have gotten her early yeah. enough to make it worthwhile to play her. Absolutely not. Uh, like, um, and this, the same, like it, it goes, it comes back to what you already said. Um, you have to let your players know why this card is here. Yeah. Um, and again, like I would never try and include a powerful card without there being the payoff. Like if say the yeah, humans like, deck, on. let's say you've got like let's say you've got like your white weenie deck, you know, or your mm. white red kind of go wide strategy. And mm. you notice that there happens to be a lot of humans in white red. Yeah. But it's not a fully fleshed out archetype, it's just sort of coincidentally there. In that situation, I don't think I would include a Winota. Because not when a player not. sees a Winota, they think there's going to be a nuts humans deck here. But if it's yeah. but if it's just a general go wide deck, it mightn't they mightn't get the payoff that they're looking for. Especially yeah, exactly. when you're forcing them to commit to two colors to do it and everything else. You know, I would say you'd need a more rock solid human deck rather than it being, say, just a oh, I have a couple humans, I guess I'll put this in. Yeah. And this um, pretty much nicely trans uh transits to our um, next point of how do you actually signpost um, these bombs to your players 
maybe without telling them beforehand yeah you know there's this archetype and it has these bombs like yeah how do you how do you tell them more subtly i guess yeah exactly um and, and i guess yeah. this is there's a quite a bit of nuance here because there is a huge difference between cards that might be archetype defining or archetype mm. you know key pieces as opposed to things that are flat out bombs because mm. again remember what we said if you want a bomb to be you know by definition the bomb needs to have that immediate impact and demands the answer whereas a key piece to the deck while the key piece might be important the key piece might necessarily win the game on the spot yeah so um one way that um, in traditional sets and often people in cube will signpost archetypes or signpost bombs will be in the form of cycles so this would be for each mm -hmm. color combination or each like relevant color in your cube you would have a respective bomb and one thing that does this very well is the titan cycle from m15 where you've got sun titan frost titan grave titan inferno titan and primeval mm -hmm. titan and yeah. All of these are six mana six sixes with various effects that, again, all have immediate impact. Like, look at Grave Titan here, say. Six mana mm -hmm. six six with Debt Touch. And when it enters the battlefield or attacks, put two 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 black zombies into play. Mm -hmm. So, first of all, immediate impact. It's ten yeah. power worth of stats. Great. Yeah. If you remove the Grave Titan, even immediately, he still leaves behind four power split across two bodies. So, mm -hmm. he's still tough to deal with. Yeah. Another example that one of the other titans that does this very well and i think all the titans do this where they enter the battlefield and do something you've got um yep. sun titan which enters and lets you return a three cost or less permanent from your grave to the battlefield yep. so even if again you say oh i play my six mana six six with vigilance sun titan and they kill it immediately at least you still get, you still get the value the three, from three. It. Yeah. you're still yeah. getting some value from it um, mm -hmm. All of the titans that do this, we won't go into every single titan in depth because they're, <laughs> you know, they're great cards. But you know, <laughs> we could have an whole episode on the titans. <laughs> but um, that's a very important thing to that you could do is having a cycle in either all of the colors or have it in maybe let's say you're doing like a ally colored cube, have it in the ally colors. Mm -hmm. We've recommended this for in our archetypes episodes as well, like have your archetype defining pieces in the dual colors. Um, yeah. or in the whatever colors you're building around. Yeah. Like, um, and, and, and another card type that usually ends up being bombs, um, not necessarily in a cycle, but uh, depending on which they set you're using they definitely, for it. They definitely stand out enough to warrant that players will notice them. Um, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, these are Planeswalkers, of course. So yeah. um, in terms of Planeswalkers, if you're look, there are definitely some garbage Planeswalkers in the world, don't get me wrong. But when you're looking for good planeswalkers, again, you're wanting something that comes in and gives immediate impact or mm -hmm. makes it hard for the planeswalker itself to be removed so you can get to its more impactful ones. Yeah. The two examples I have here that I think really sum this up quite well are Elspeth's Son's Champion, um, which is a six mana walker that when she enters on four loyalty, you can put one counter on her to create three one one soldier tokens. Like... Mm -hmm. It's going to take a lot to get rid of all those tokens and also yeah. start hitting the Elspeth. If there's already yeah. a lot of big problems on the board, Elspeth has a minus three to destroy all four power or greater creatures. And then mm. the emblem, while we won't worry too much about the emblem, it does give plus two, plus two and all your creatures flying. Um, 
So yeah, but this, this is pretty much the same for most planeswalkers. Yeah, that this is this they is, define the game yeah. after they get them or, or alt or whatever. Yeah, like the alt is nice, but like you you want the planeswalker to be good enough. Yeah, we're we're, we're not planning with that. We're not planning for the alt, but it's nice if it happens. And in the case of Elspeth, like she can protect herself and advance your board state. In what we're looking at here, she fits really nicely into any sort of white deck that wants to pump out lots of creatures. Mm. But then also the fact that she has a board wipe attached to her is wonderful as well because you wipe the board and then suddenly your opponents are trying to rebuild which means you can just start pumping out creatures with her yeah. um, and just coming just coming back to um the topic of ultimates on planeswalkers mm-hmm. um as i said earlier this also does the thing that sets your opponent on a clock like mm-hmm. your opponent has to deal with this planeswalker yeah before like before it hits it yeah all. exactly and like while you never think that you're going to get the ults off it's a case of the opponent needs to keep always yeah. keep the planeswalker in check so that it doesn't yeah. happen the fact that the opponent is wasting resources keeping the planeswalker in check is l- going to help you stay alive longer um another planeswalker that kind of does this well that i just thought i'd bring a mention to just because i don't see him as much and i just really like him is garrick cursed huntsman another six mana walker four black and a green i guess he is a bit expensive uh comes in a four five loyalties you mm. can zero him to put two 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 black green wolves into play with when this creature dies, put a loyalty counter on, on each Garrick you control. So have a bit of Garrick tribal if you want. But um, <laughs> his minus three destroys a creature and draws you a card and his emblem is for minus six creatures you control get plus three plus three and trample. So I mm. love this Garrick because similar to the Elspeth, it gives you blockers that can protect Garrick himself and it comes with a you know, a destroy spell that also draws you a card. I think that's wonderful. Just being able to, it, like, at the end of the day, what are the most important things in Magic? It's card advantage and board and board advantage. So the fact that you're either increasing the size of your board or destroying pieces of the board, you are and really get gaining that it, advantage. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I feel, and I feel like uh, Garrick does the protect himself part even better than Elspeth. Um absolutely mostly because he just spirals out of control so quickly. Um yeah the if opponent he zeroes once that puts your opponent in a bad spot because the opponent the opponents are damned if they do, damned if they don't, if they try to attack yeah, the Garrick, because yeah. like even like the terrifying situation with Garrick is like let's say they swing and then you double block. Mm. And kill both your wolves. That means the Garrick is now on seven power, and he can alt and stay alive. Yep, <laughs> that's stupid. Um, now again, these are obviously high mana, so there is you kind of expect these powerful effects, but it's important mm. to keep them in mind because you know this can really these can really push a deck. Like I could even see the Garrick deck working in an aristocrat strategy, where like you sacrifice the wolves to intentionally proliferate your Garrick. Yep. Um, or of course Garrick Tribal um, and <laughs> again the important thing about these cards um, to think about over just your typical signpost cards like let's take the Garrick mm-hmm. in the Aristocrats example the Garrick is going to close out the game whereas the Phyrexian Altar that you have the Phyrexian Altar mm-hmm. is an engine the Phyrexian Altar is highly yep. synergistic but the Phyrexian mm. Altar isn't going to win the game on its own if it goes unchecked. The Phyrexian mm. Altar relies on several other pieces coming together. Whereas with the Garrick, you can drop the Garrick and it's like, hey, this is a problem. Or drop the Elspeth. Yeah, this just this works a problem. Of, of himself. Yeah, and in the case of both of these, you know, they both fit into the decks, but 
that they are designed for, but they also are a one-man cannon in and of themselves. Mm. Again, with the Elspeth, you're supplying a bunch of tokens to the board in a deck in a deck that assumably wants tokens. Mm. Um, so that's a really that's really what separates these bombs from just good cards in general. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so- now, now that we define what a bomb is or how you can identify a bomb, um, just as a side note, is there any particular bomb that you personally really like? Like that one bomb that would make your heart go swoosh just by pulling it? Um, for me, it's partially it's a little bit of um what's the word it's a bit um nostalgia for it but i love mm-hmm. the gear hulk cycle from mm-hmm. kaladesh um they were sort of um a spiritual successor to the the titan cycle the gear hulks mm-hmm. are all artifact creatures i think they all came in at six mana as well or five or six mana and they all had quite powerful effects um yeah. most notably the one that i liked drafting the most i think i pulled it in a kaladesh draft was noxious gear hook it's oh, four, the, black, the black one right the black one yeah four black black for a five four artifact creature construct with menace when it mm. enters the battlefield destroy another target creature and if a creature is destroyed this way you gain life equal to its toughness and mm. Mm, i think that's delicious because like it's coming in blowing up something gaining you back life and again if you're trying to if you're a control deck or a mid-range deck trying to just stave off that aggro heat later in the game and you're mm. trying to just rebalance yourself yeah. what better way to do it than by popping something and then gaining back the life and then this guy swinging in with menace like that's a four turn clock with that five four yeah. you know <laughs> spicy four turn clock that's going to be if they decide to block it's hey you've got two creatures going um mm. Or another notable one is the Torrential Gear Hulk, which I think saw standard play in its day. It's a 4 blue-blue for a 5-6 with Flash, Artifact Construct. When it enters, you may cast an instant card from your graveyard without paying its mana cost. If that card would be put into the graveyard, exile it. So it's basically a really big Snapcaster Mage. Yep. And yeah, while Snapcaster is obviously the modern playable, vintage legacy, every format playable... Um, I like the Torrential Gear Hulk in the draft environment because you're going to get those gummed up board states in draft that the yeah, well, big Torrential Gear Hulk can capitalize on. And if you are, and playing, it, it, in all fairness, like the Snapcaster Mage doesn't come attached to, you know, a big fatty body. Exactly. It's um. It is a. It is um. And of course, Snapcaster. I think it doesn't cast it. Um, yeah, it gives it flashback. Like, you need to actually pay the mana for Snapcaster. Oh, okay. Whereas with Torrential Gear Hulk, it's just... Um, oh, no, you, no, sorry. It is actually... You may cast target instant source from... Yeah, without paying its mana cost. So Torrential Gear Hulk, you know... If theoretically Torrential Gear Hulk is free, if, you, if you're if you able to target, like, a, let's say, like, turn five, you cast a big spell. Turn six, play Torrential Gear Hulk, and you cast that spell again. Like, Torrential Gear Hulk basically comes for free then, you know? Yeah. Um, so... I really like that because, again, can put you miles ahead. Yeah. Um, last thing I will say about bombs, I think, before we move on to our card of the week, is um, be careful with your bombs. So we mentioned a bit about bombs that are that fit into archetypes and bombs that are good in general. Mm. But you don't want bombs that warp your format. Yeah, and oh boy, we've had problems with that before in some of our cubes. Um, absolutely, absolutely. Like, um, if any of you were around for the draft we did of our cube, it um, Wormcoil Engine was 
and I think everyone knows this at this point, Wormcall Engine is a force to be reckoned with and can warp <laughs> your format. Yeah. So, um, and I think it basically, like, it mostly comes down to accessibility. Um, mm -hmm. Like, do you want to have your, like, which archetypes do you want to have access to that bomb? And in the case of Wormcall Engine, um, there's pretty much no restriction on that. Yeah. Um, because most decks can just play it and profit from it. Exactly. And that's why I think the Gearhulks and the Titans are such good examples of bombs mm. because they all require double whatever their color is. So there's yeah. at least, a, it at least means that they're mostly restricted to two color decks. Yeah. Or at least have to heavily splash for it. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's, um, but like that all comes from playtesting. We all know this, like just get out, play your cube. Like, and even if you're in the middle of building a cube and you haven't dropped the money on it yet, you know, play a couple games online, get some friends and test mm. draft it on, you know, whatever service uh, lets you draft your cubes. You know, we did an episode back on that um, very early on if you want to check out some of those resources. But um, yeah, just play test and let us know <laughs> yourselves. What bombs are you playing in your cube? What cards do you think are, you know, too powerful in cube? What cards do you think... <laughs> What cards would you suggest for our cubes that would make good bombs? With that, though, Rupert, let's move on to our card of the week. Yeah, sure. Uh, would you like to read it out because you picked it? And... Yeah, sure. Um, well, <laughs> this is a weird card. So the card in question is Problematic Volcano. It is a world enchantment for one and double red. When it enters the battlefield, it deals four damage to any target. Then, starting with you, each player assigns their creatures to the left or right side of the volcano. Mm. Creatures enter the battlefield to the left or right of the volcano. Creatures cannot block creatures on the other side of the volcano. So, if this card doesn't sound too familiar to you, it's, pro it's because this is one of the test cards that made its first showing in the Mystery Boosters. Uh, these were cards that were sort of like, hey, these are niche designs or fun designs that we can't really fit into a set, so we're going yeah. to shove them in here. Yeah, so, they, they were later replaced by the um, foil res, I Yeah, think in Mystery Booster, yeah, they yeah. Were, these were only available at the sort of, I can't remember if it was like a pre-release event for it, or whatever the first few events were for this. So, no, no. realistically, your only chance to get these is secondary market, or if you're playing digitally, of course, you can just you know use them. But, um, I thought it was an interesting thing to mention here for people playing cube because mm -hmm. it does a couple things really well. First of all, dealing four damage is really key in um, cube, especially in red. A lot of the sort of strong creatures of the format have four damage as that threshold. Like sometimes lightning bolt just isn't enough to get through that mid-range beater. Mm -hmm. And problematic volcano is a nice way to deal that extra bit of damage. Yeah. The second reason i bring this up is because this is a very good alternative to a really old i'm pretty sure reserve list card of with a similar effect called raging river mm -hmm. which is double red for an enchantment that reads when uh, you attack non-flying defending creatures must be you know, I'm getting the oracle text for this. The old card's too much. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I got a sentence into it and realized, oh, no, I'm, I'm not going to be able to read this. Um, Raging River is um, a similar effect where it essentially will divide your creatures. Um, there we go. Whenever one or more creatures you control attack, each defending player divides all creatures without flying they control into a left pile and right pile. 
Then for each attacking mm-hmm. creature you control, choose left or right. That creature can't be blocked this combat except by creatures with flying and creatures in a pile with the chosen label. So mm-hmm. it's that these two cards do something quite similar where they are controlling the way blocking is done. And yep. again, that kind of a s- effect of choose the left or right side of the river, um, yeah. that hasn't <laughs> been done since um, Raging River. So Problematic Volcano getting its sort of time in the sun to is a quite a good um it's quite a good thing just getting to you know have that experience and get to play with that style of deck um, yeah, like in all fairness this being a play uh this being a test car we might actually see a playable variant of that yeah um i'm just looking at card market just for curiosity's sake and the price mm-hmm. trend is 13 euros but there's only two listings one for 65 and one for 100 euros and then for uh, Raging River, it is. Um, huh. You can actually get a. Oh, that's Gold Border. Um, yeah, oh, so yeah. Raging River, you can get an unlimited version for about 33 euros. Um, mm. So, yeah, f- fair enough. Maybe my argument of price is a bit invalid, a little bit invalidated, but um, maybe you in the US who actually got to play a mystery booster pre-release has a copy of problematic volcano or again <laughs> you want to have that another source of deal four damage because there isn't a lot of actually good deal four damage effects like flame slash is a notable one but that's creatures only char yeah. isn't bad but it also deals damage to you so it's not as good in the burn mirrors but like i would consider playing around with problematic volcano proxy it up you know again it's a test card so it's a bit of a meme um in some ways but (laughs) i think it's really worth trying out yeah rupert have Um, you any thoughts on this card before we sign off uh just one final thought um that being problematic volcano is classified as a world enchantment yes uh what is a what is a world enchantment? Oh God! Like, so is there, is there world, anything to it? Yes. Yeah, so a world enchantment is a keyword that they got rid of years ago. So there can only be one world enchantment in play at any one time, and the term "world" refers to an enchantment that affects everything or everyone. Okay, so it's so it's basically magic's variant of a field spell. It's kind uh, of like a field Yu-Gi-Oh. spell in Yu-Gi-Oh, yeah. So, yeah. oh, I'm just on the wiki now. So, world is a subtype that's only found on enchantments. All existing cards with the subtype were printed as being enchant world cards. Um, world enchantments have been retired for many years. Um, world enchantments were last seen in Visions. Um, what other examples of world enchantments are there? I'm curious now. Um, while while we're here on the on the topic, um, Scryfall t-world um yeah so an example of another world enchantment would be arborea double green and two world enchantment creatures can't attack a player who didn't cast a spell and didn't put a card onto the battlefield during his or her last turn Mm -hmm. um there's also uh, this is actually one that sees play actually um concord concordant crossroads it's one green for a world enchantment that gives all creatures haste and yeah the key thing for world enchantments and maybe if you build world enchantments into your cube with all 26 of them um (laughs) you know if you build world enchantments as a sort of feature of your cube um Mm. if you play a world enchantment it destroys uh, all other world enchantments there's going to be one world enchantment to play at any given time 
kind of like how the legend rule used to work um yeah so it really is a field spell <laughs> it really is a field spell yeah um yeah there's there's a there's a there's a world spell that turns all lands into one ones um like there's lots of dumb stuff yeah. um there's a there's one that reads whenever a player c- plays a spell counter it unless its controller pays three okay guess what color that is um well i, I suppose it's probably not blue no it's black for some fucking reason <laughs> uh nether void okay. um but yeah um, we won't dwell on world enchantments. Maybe someday we'll do an episode yeah, talking sure. about M- the more photo for the jank cube. More for the jank cube, but yeah. Um, Problematic volcano, neat card is a way of dealing four damage in cube, which is always relevant. And then this sort of controlling blocking effect could mm-hmm. be really interesting in those sort of stacksy red decks, like those blood moon decks and things like that. Just really yep. forcing the opponents into uncomfortable <laughs> positions. Well, all right. I think with okay. that, then, Rupert, we'll call it an episode. Sure thing. Thank you so, all very much for watching. And if you Thank want you to much. find any of our content, you can do so on Twitter at GitMizit. You can find us on Twitch at the Frog Dragon. You can ask us questions mm-hmm. on our anchor.fm uh, at the Frog and the Dragon. You can also what you could find... also do is um, suggesting new cards of the week that we can cover. Absolutely. Uh, we always appreciate um, your suggestions. We do have an email address, thefrogdragon at gmail.com, where you can email us in any questions you have or, again, cards of the week, things like that. We always love to talk about that. Last thing, then, is we have a Patreon where we publish the sort of uh, show notes, our scripts that we read from. Um, as you can tell, the show is a bit fly by the seat of the pants, so the show notes are kind of a suggestion for us to go off. But um, <laughs> in case there's any topics we miss and stuff like that, you can find it in our, on Patreon. We release the show notes for season one and two for free to everyone, and season three's show notes are available to those who subscribe to the Patreon. We also have a Discord. Check that out. Also, link details about that on Patreon. But yeah, I've been Beg Foil. Thank you very much for watching. I've been Rupert Fleeting. Thank you very much. See you next time. See you then.